heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Well, hello and welcome back to the Growth Junkies podcast. We are glad you joined us today. We are picking up on a series that we're doing on a brand new book that we've released called Mega Life, How to Live Without Fear. And as usual, my co-compatriot over here, (laughs) Ben Bost is joining me sitting across the table. Hi, Ben. Hey. Hey, Kent. How you doing today? <laughs> I'm fine, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank okay. you. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> today, we're going to talk to our grill Junkie friends about fear. We are doing this extended uh, series on the subject of fear, kind of tracking the 18 days or chapters mm-hmm. of this book. Right. This book that we created, How to Live Without Fear, it is a kind of a um, opportunity to dig into the problem of fear mm-hmm. and discover how to deal with it, how to overcome it. And the reason we talk about this is because we are convinced that fear is like the ultimate problem. Yeah. Like it's the real enemy in the world right now for everyone because everyone seems to be afraid of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say I just came from a a meeting where I was discussing our book and and talking to a a particular person about they were inquiring about why the book's important. And I said, you know, there's some people in life, they have fear that shows up in categories like they might have fear or experiencing it related to their finances, but a lot of the other areas of their life are pretty good. What I'm seeing happen in in society today is fear is like a thread running itself through all categories Mm -hmm. for many people. Mm -hmm. Like it's showing up not just in one area, but a lot of different areas. And so that's why this discussion is important. And and so in in the context of that that conversation in, in that meeting I just had, I said, really, this book is designed to help people understand their relationship to fear. Mm -hmm. Like we've said in previous podcasts, what we wanted to do and wanted to accomplish with this book was to not shortchange the conversation and discussion about fear itself. What is it? How does it function in our lives? And if we want to move out of the place of being fearful in certain areas, what would we do? Mm -hmm. What are the things that have to be added in, in essence, to displace what is present, that being for a lot of people, fear? Yeah, and so we really had two goals. One of them, of course, is to what you just said, to understand one's relationship with fear, but then secondly, to change one's relationship exactly. with fear. So the goal of this book is it is very practical. We give you actually practical advice about what you can do to turn your relationship with fear around. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. The truth is everybody has a relationship with fear, but for a lot of us, it's an unhealthy relationship. Sure because it's unhealthy fear that really bothers us. It's this paralyzing fear we've talked about in previous podcasts. Mm -hmm. So fear is is often a really bad thing, not always a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes fear causes us to do good things, to take action, to make changes, you know, to do good things. Um, to, to get off of the couch and do something, right? So <laughs> we hope, yeah. It serves a purpose, you know? It's like a warning signal that goes off and tells us to do things. Mm-hmm. But largely, fear is paralyzing. It prevents us from taking advantage of opportunities, of doing things we otherwise would do, of, of having good relationships with others or with ourselves. Fear is a problem. And we would even call it the problem behind the problem because COVID and politics mm-hmm. and racial tension and all the crazy stuff that's happened in the world in the last few years yeah. is just a symptom of the real problem. And mm-hmm. if anything, it, it exacerbates 
the real issue underneath it. And we would argue the real issue behind COVID and politics and the tensions with races, it's fear. Yeah. And like we've discussed previously, that that fear sells. Mm -hmm. It's a commodity and and you can sell a lot of things to a lot of people using fear, making them uh, feel like that they are either missing out in some way or they're not going to be able to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, a lot, of, a lot of the identity theft softwares or companies now, it's, hey, you've got to protect, protect yourself. Well, yeah. here's what they know. They know the research. They know that one of the top five fears of all people is identity theft. Right. So you want to sell a product, build a product that helps people with that fear yeah. to alleviate it. And so we, we do see a lot of this. And, and I think um, as we move through the days of this book, we hope that it's going to be really practical for, for people to be able to construct their life in such a way and understand what things they can do to alleviate that, what feels like chronic fear in their life. Yeah. And that is really important to state. Like it's this toxic level of fear that seems to be underscoring their entire day. Uh, we need to move from cloud cover to blue skies, really. Yes. You know, we experience ver- inversions here in the valley in mm-hmm. Boise. And, and when you have that inversion that's sitting over the valley, this cloud, mm-hmm. it can eventually feel real heavy and dark mm-hmm. and, and affects your mood, uh, affects the things that you want to go out and do. Yeah. But the reality, when the, when the cloud lifts, we see things very differently. And I think that's important for us to understand about fear. We need to be able to move it out of our life to displace it. And we'll get into that in a, in a couple of days, uh, a couple of future podcasts as we move through the days. Yeah. And to stay with your analogy, I like that. Like fear is like clouds. A few partly cloudy you know, skies are fine. <laughs> yeah. But when the whole sky is cloudy, you got a problem. Yeah. So we're going to let some light in. We're going to yeah. open up the, the clouds and let some light in today. And so we're actually going to be entering into day five or chapter five of the book, Mega Life, How to mm-hmm. Live Without Fear. And in this chapter, it's kind of a hinge in the whole book because what, what we talk about here is really uh, what fear is by looking at its opposite. Mm. Sometimes you can discover what something is by learning what it isn't. So yeah. learning by contrast is what we call that. Yep. So when it comes to fear, sometimes we need to look at like, what is the opposite of fear? If we're going to really understand what fear is, we got to deal with what it isn't. Right. So there's an interesting scientist that we begin this chapter with, whose name is Mary Curie. Yes. And Ben, would you tell our listeners who she is and what she had to say about this? Yes. Yeah, so she was a, a Polish French scientist in the early 1900s, like was when she did a majority of her work. But she is affectionately known as uh, the mother of radioactivity. And that's Sounds because like a band. <laughs> that would be a good band name, <laughs> by the way. What kind of music would they play? Heavy metal. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and so Mary Curie uh, really discovered the technology to help scan for cancer. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of I think the importance with her is there was a lot of things that were being developed in the industrial period in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And so she was a first winner, female winner of a Nobel Nobel Prize, mm-hmm. which is significant to yes. think about. Yeah. And that's why she stands out as a scientist. So she's smart. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. And if a smart person like her says something, you might want to pay attention. Yeah, and she was a professor in Paris. So I, right. like, if you want to do more research on who she was as a person and her accolades and background, it's available out there in mm-hmm. you know, cyberspace. You can find whatever you want. 
But the importance, I think, was legacy and and people who do work at that level and invest themselves in life's work for a long period of time leave a legacy of some some sort. Not only has she left a legacy in in the frame of what she contributed to cancer research, but I think through a quote that we have in the book Mega Life, she left a different legacy mm-hmm. that when you understand this quote, probably undergirded the way she did her research. And so the quote is, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Mm, That's a good quote. It is. And I I suggest uh, that I think her legacy is more in this quote. If we look at how we're dealing with life today, then even more what she's contributed to helping us understand cancer and how to alleviate cancer. Mm -hmm. But the reality is when you look around us in the world today, and how much fear is uh, propelling people's lives, are we stopping to ask this question, how do we understand what's happening around us? Mm -hmm. How would we approach those things? Can we at least take a moment and try to think about them in such a way that we might be able to alleviate some of the fear through understanding? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about her and and the idea of cancer, and and I just wanna throw something out there, and if I'm wrong, just tell me so. But I wonder, I mean, really, truly, if just being honest, it's worth discussion. Like, what's worse, cancer or the fear of cancer? Mm-hmm. Like, I know the, the, they say the big C word. And I'll tell you, I've had my moments where I started thinking, like, everyone I know seems to be getting cancer. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of time. And it's a bit terrifying. Yeah. And there's a lot of worry and fear. I think that we have, like, someday we're just going to go to the doctor. We're going to get that news and it's going to change our lives. Or someone we love is going to get it and it's going to change our lives. It's a very scary thing. Right. So I wonder if this quote and this 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 idea she's working on is in the context of her research with cancer. Because for a lot of people, not just dealing with cancer, but just the fear of having to deal with it has to be paralyzing. Well, I think that's probably true. Like you can apply this to so many different areas. Like fear can cause you to avoid. Mm-hmm. Fear can also cause intrigue. And if that intrigue moves to the place of investigation and try like where she says understanding, seeking to understand Mm -hmm. that can transition something that you have a fear of into a place of enjoyment. Like, let's go back to skiing and avalanches like we've talked about this in the past. Mm -hmm. Like I could avoid ever stepping on snow and skiing because of fear of an avalanche. Sure. But if I do enough research and reading and talking to people, seeking to understand, choosing to not fear more, but actually try to understand, that can actually over time convert into enjoyment. Sure. As you improve as a skier and learn how to handle the mountains and all those things and you end up in backcountry and and learning how to ski trees and Mm -hmm. like it takes you to a place that you would not have experienced had you given in to fear and avoided it in the first place. I think that's true of almost everything. The more you understand it, the less scary it is. And so maybe this was true of, of Mary Curie in the fact that she goes, okay, there's this thing called cancer, a disease, mm-hmm. and it probably intrigued her. Mm-hmm. We need to figure out how to, it was really radioactivity though. I don't know if she was targeting, I'd have to go back and do the research, specifically trying to Mm. address the issue of cancer as much as her discoveries, what she was intrigued by, was the foundation for then producing the kinds of things that Mm. allowed us to scan for cancer. She's the mother of radioactivity. Ah, So, I mean, I do think it applies, though, to probably every situation that 
And we'll just say it. The more you understand something, the less scary it is. So even like, I remember as a kid looking at roller coasters and mm. there were certain roller coasters when I was small that I look at and just be terrified of and I wouldn't want to even get on. But what would happen? Almost every time I get on the coaster <laughs> and I would do it, and it, I would be done, and I realized that wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't so scary. Let's do it again. Right. And, and so there's so many things in our lives that I think we're afraid of that really stoke our fears and scare us, but they're really not that scary once you get to know them. So people have said this of like sharks. Like I have a fear of sharks. I've always had this fear of sharks. <laughs> but if I were to study sharks, spend my life understanding their habits and how they uh -huh. live and why they do what they do, I'd probably be more intrigued and fascinated than scared. And that's true probably, I, you, everyone knows I hate spiders. I, I hate spiders, but I know that if I really <laughs> took the time to understand spiders, learn like, you know, which ones are poisonous, which ones aren't, and mm -hmm. why they do what they do, I might even become an advocate for spiders. This seems to be true. The more you study something and understand it, the less scary it is. It just disarms that fear. Right, and so I think I would suggest and go back to, I said this earlier, that maybe one of her great legacies, Mary Curie's great legacies, is this quote mm -hmm. that we is that now maybe is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. So let's do it. Let's try to understand more about fear. And so one way we can do this, as we mentioned this in the book, is if we went to, you know, of course, dictionary.com. <laughs> You've got, got to find definitions and antonyms. It's there. always a great place to start. It's, it's a good place to start. We looked it up, and on dictionary.com, there are 21 antonyms. So you know what an antonym is, right? Yeah, the opposite. The of. opposite. Not a synonym, an antonym. <laughs> yes. So the opposites of fear, and we found 21 different words, things that you would typically associate, like assurance, calmness, confidence, contentment, encouragement, faith, happiness, joy, and trust. But there's another one on the list mm -hmm. that tends to be pretty surprising to people because of all the ones I just shared with you, you know which one actually is not listed? You think it would be courage, yeah, right? Right. Courage. My whole life, if you were to ask me what is the antonym of fear, I would probably say courage. Bravery. Fact, bravery. Right? Courage. Boldness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would say probably most people would say the same thing. The opposite of being afraid is to be courageous, to be bold. But here's the thing, it's not the last word. That's not even on that list. At the end, and in fact, emphatically at the end, it's a completely <laughs> different word. Mm -hmm. You know what it is, Ben? I know what it is. Tell us. We wrote the book. <laughs> Break the news, Ben. It's the word love. Love. Love is listed in dictionary.com as the opposite of fear. Now, here's the thing. It is. It yeah. is the opposite of fear, but it's not intuitive. A lot of people always would say, you know, fear, the opposite is courage. So if you don't want to be afraid, you got to have more courage, but it doesn't work. And here's why. Um, you could have a lot of courage, like a lot of people who go fight on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. One of the things they'll always tell you is that they go into battle, they are afraid. They can be courageous and afraid at the same time. Yeah, it doesn't matter what side you're on. It, do it doesn't. <laughs> the fact is, you, in fact, they say you should be afraid because it keeps your head on a swivel. It keeps you alert. So it's not an absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's how to how to utilize that fear, uh -huh. how to use it. So even people who go into desperate scenarios and dangerous scenarios would tell you that courage is not the opposite of fear. In fact, they go hand in hand a lot. Yeah, it's like, how do you manage the fear? 
Yes. How do you carry the fear? You need courage to be able to do that. Right. It doesn't do courage does not do what we're suggesting and which is displace fear entirely. Right. Courage has no power over fear necessarily because mm-hmm. the most courageous people do experience fear. They know what to do with it. So so then that leads to the question, well, if courage isn't the opposite of fear and courage has no power to overcome fear, then what does? And of course, we know the answer and we'll yeah. tell it to you again. It's love. And we want to, to let you know that this really is a pivot point in the discussion, not, not just in our podcasts, but also in the book. And we don't go the full distance out of the gate in discussing that because we want to do the same exact exact thing with love as we've done with fear. We don't want to shortchange the discussion. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we understand it fully mm-hmm. and why we put it in, in the, the place that we do in reference to fear that if you really want to eliminate fear in your life, what you need is love right. to be able to do that. Courage, and it's like we wrote we wrote about this, is that can you do... Can you be courageous in actions for things that are not good or evil? Mm-hmm. Well, you actually can. I mean, there's been plenty of people, you, you mentioned the battlefield, who have gone to war right. for evil outcomes, sure. but they've had courage in battle mm-hmm. because they've had to deal with their fear. Mm-hmm. And that's why we suggest that courage is not the opposite to yeah. fe- of fear, that, that love is. And, and love is the opposite because love has more power than fear. And that's something we're gonna come back to several Mm -hmm. times. Right. But it does come up in this chapter. And the issue here is, how is love more powerful than fear? How does love displace and overcome fear? And it comes down to one concept, Ben, Mm. and we discuss this in the book. It's control. Right. Control. You mentioned earlier that fear is is weaponized. Mm -hmm. It's used to manipulate and control people. Mm -hmm. Fear has everything to do with control. Either it's it's used to control other people or we allow others to control us. Yeah. Fear is abusive, it's enslaving, it's controlling. Mm-hmm. You know what love is? Freeing. Freeing. Liberating. Yes. It has, it's the exact opposite of control. Love is about releasing other people and being released. So Love and fear are the opposites because they they deal with fear or control very differently. Exactly. Yeah. And that's so when you ask the question, so what's the opposite of love? Most people would go to hate. They would say, well, of course, it's hatred. Well, it's not because hatred is actually driven by emotion. Mm -hmm. It's saying I feel something about you and that emotion that I'm feeling is hatred towards you or what you represent or what you think, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is controls indifference. It, it doesn't matter. It has no feelings attached to it. That's right. It's the kind of it's the kind of attitude that stands in the middle of something would hear the arguments, someone trying to fend for their life and they really don't care. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to kill you anyway. Yeah. And in fact, we're not the only ones who have said this. I've read this many times over that hate is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is indifference mm-hmm. and indifference is, is a form of control. Right. It really is. Because it's being driven by something else. Like you think about conquest and the history of conquest in mankind. Many atrocious acts have been done really for the sake of control and conquest, Mm -hmm. not how they feel about the other people. Those people are just standing in the way. They need to be moved out for this bigger piece that's trying to be accomplished, which is control or conquest or dominance. Mm -hmm. So it it doesn't really care. The, the, The people are immaterial. They're just in the way. They need to move. Right. And so we don't care about how their kids feel that their parents got murdered or any of those things. The end goal is this bigger thing that they're chasing. Mm-hmm. 
So you're indifferent to me, or I'm indifferent to you, let's say, because because the fact of the matter is I'm going to use fear to control this situation because I need to accomplish a different end. Mm -hmm. And so love doesn't do that. Love actually moves into a situation and takes and considers all things, right? Love is, is acknowledging the fact that, uh, people have emotions and they have dignity and they're real. And so when you take a concept like that and you bring it to our current context today, if we throw just three things on the table, one, how we've dealt with this pandemic and relationships that have been affected by it. A second one would be the racial issues that we're facing. And the third would be politics and the amount of fear that is being exchanged in those three things. If we were to approach them with love and the kind of love that actually works, that's not about indifference or control. Um, or the, the fear that's indifference and control, but love that comes against that, we would see a, a lot of change in how people are interacting with one another. Mm-hmm. But it's complex. Yeah, I mean, the truth is, if if you love somebody, you don't want to control them. You don't have to control right. them. You, you're, you allow them to be who they are in the sense to respond is the way they want to and to allow them to make mistakes and receive grace. And I mean, to love somebody is not to seize control. It is to release in the same way to be loved is to be released, to not have someone else manipulating you or controlling you or enslaving you. So the reality is that, you know, even in in the context of Christianity, you know, Mm You know, the Bible says God loved the world. He so loved the world, he gave the son. Well, that love that he showed to the world, really, it's not indifference. It's the opposite of indifference. It's release. It's freedom. He allowed us to choose him. Right. He allowed us to come back to him. He allowed us to make mistakes and fall, mm-hmm. but still be redeemed. There's, there's a love of freedom and release that he allowed us to live uh, that to me is so opposite mm-hmm. of control. People say, well, you know, if if God really was good and loving, then why would he make us all just robots so we can't do anything wrong? And the reality (laughs) is it would violate everything that God is if God is love to control is against his nature. Well, foundationally, part of what makes love love is that it's not forced. Exactly. You can't make somebody love you Mm -hmm. and they can't make you love them, Mm -hmm. which is to me leads right to the discussion of the the cultural view of love. And the way in which we view it today and how uh, the suggestion almost always by any celebrity or person that's viewed as valuable in our society when they're asked, what's going to fix all of this? Mm -hmm. So many of them would say, well, it's love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. And they're right, but they don't have the right definition in mind. Well, this is really challenging cultural discussion that's been happening for a really long time. Mm -hmm. You know, the Beatles, that quote, John Lennon was a huge proponent. We, we actually quote him, all I think, leading into this day yeah. uh, of, of mega life. The fact is, yeah, all you need is love. Love is all you need. If you came to our house, to the Boast household, you would see a sign in our kitchen that says that. All you need is love. Love is all you need. Because we believe that. Mm-hmm. We believe that love is foundational to all things. But right. what's important is when I say that, what am I talking about? And am I actually describing the kind of love that does work, can displace fear, and is worth building life upon? Yeah. So let's be clear about this. It's not romantic, mushy love that displaces all fear. <laughs> so they can turn what, on- What, Hallmark doesn't fix it all? No, you can't turn on the Hallmark channel and suddenly all your fears dissipate. I mean, at Christmas time with all those movies, you can escape for a little while. <laughs> it may be an escape. Plenty of people do. But the fears aren't going anywhere. They'll, they'll be there once <laughs> right. you're done. Sure. So how do you displace the fear? And so 
love, when it's just mushy romantic like that, doesn't really have power. So like love, we're called the Love and Transformation Institute. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the organization we started, the parent organization of Growth Junkies. Mm-hmm. And so we started this organization several years ago and, and Ben and I laugh about it because when we first launched our <laughs> website, we found out that they lumped us into the romantic dating categories. <laughs> So if you Google love and transformation, you get some dating website. Oh, I, I had people tell me like, gosh, you guys are a dating site. No, no we're not. We're not. <laughs> so we had to spend some effort and some time clarifying that love and even rescuing the word love. Love is so much more bigger, deeper, broader than just romantic, mushy love. Yes. But 99 out of 100 people, when you say the word love, it's immediate romance. It's, it's, it's stars and hearts and, and Hallmark cards. It's not... Love, the love that we're talking mm-hmm. about, the love that's opposite of fear is not a mushy romantic love. It is the love that gives benefit and deference to other people. Yeah. It is a selfless, sacrificial kind of love. What's our definition for love again? Ben? Love is to know, want, and do what's in the best interest of another person. That's not romantic. Out of, that's not out of a deep concern for the well-being of the other. Yeah. Right. See, this is one of the things that's important to understand. If you want to know that you love someone... Mm. Do, are you concerned about their well-being? Mm-hmm. If you were to stop and go, do I really care about them as a person, want what's good for them, want a flourishing life, mm-hmm. then if I do, I would know, want, and do what's in their best interest. Right. And so this is where it gets super complex and confusing in our society today because love is thrown out as a solution to all things a lot. Sure. And... Literally, if you were smart, not, I'm not saying that people are stupid. I'm just saying like the next logical question you would ask is, okay, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Because this conversation has been happening culturally for a long time. And case in point, what happened in 2016 at the Super Bowl with Coldplay, there was uh, Bruno Mars and Beyonce were on stage mm-hmm. as Coldplay was singing Up and Up. This is just an illustration and an example of what I'm talking about, the cultural conversation that continues about love. Chris Martin gets to the end of the song. He inserts a lyric, believe in love. Right. And all of these colored cards go up in the stadium spelling out the phrase, believe in love. Mm-hmm. As if it's like this, this appeal to this sentiment that we all share. Mm-hmm. Like just by appealing to it, it's like it's suggesting we all know what he's talking about. Well, here's the thing. We don't. Right. We don't know what he's talking about. No, he's about. talking about dating, Ben. <laughs> Is that what it's getting just to? Just find a girlfriend, right? Is it just, yeah, there's this like, and so that's what I'm tired of. I'm tired of these these constant appeals to this grand idea that we all know what love is when in reality we struggle to be in relationship with, with one another in such a way that considers the well-being of other people. Mm-hmm. It's There's so much individualism that undermines the ability to consider other people and right. know, want, and do what's in their best interest. Right. So what everybody agrees on is that love is the solution. Like that's already out there. But the question is, what do we mean by that love? What love are you talking about? Right. Like a mushy romantic kind of love or something different? And, and we would suggest something totally different. Exactly. And that's where we need to break out of our our tendency to categorize it as romance, mushy, and start looking at love as structural. Mm -hmm. And I often use the word architectural, you know, something that all of life is built upon, Mm. that it's not a feeling. It's well beyond a feeling. Love has feelings, but it's way more than that. It's something we're building life upon. Yeah. 
as a principle, right? Well, something that we've seen, and this is kind of hints at where we're going, and we're not going to jump deeply into this discussion about what love is, because that's the next chapter. Well, look, we'll get into that. But here's something we've noticed. Anybody that is well-loved, and by that we mean given the things they need the most, protection, provision, training for life, raised in a family, secure relationships, knows that they're loved unconditionally by people around them. And they are therefore, they're therefore loved people and they're able to love others well. Mm -hmm. Those people, guess what? Are not afraid. No. There's something, there's a correlation there. Is it causal? Perhaps. Mm. We would suggest it's not just a correlation, that it's actually causal. That as you understand that you are loved and you grow into a loving person, mm -hmm. the greater the love that's in your life, the lesser the fear. Yeah, because love produces security and stability. Mm -hmm. And when those things are present, if you come from a home that's very loving, where you go out into the world, and let's be fair with this, world is hard. Yeah, The world's going to kick your butt. It's, it doesn't discriminate a lot of times. It's just tough out there. Yep. But if you come out of an environment that's very loving and stable, mm -hmm. it helps you to deal with all the other aspects of life. Because you know, back in this place, when I return home, when I go back to these relationships, I'm loved. I can depend on that. I have security and stability because that's provided there. Those kinds of people function way better in life when those when that condition is present. And so we, as being formed into loving people, have to know how to develop and build that kind of condition for the ones we care about. Yeah. Whether it's our, our spouse, our kids, our friends, even in the workplace for our employees. If you're an employer, how do you build an environment where people can come to an environment that's loving, right? This is a place that not many people would try to apply love. They we don't need love in the workplace. We need profit. Yeah. Well, what if your employees came and they felt secure and they felt stable because they know they were cared for, that you cared about their well-being at such a level that it created that kind of stability in that environment? It's, it's stunning, honestly. And what we're going to do is ask you to sort of, well, deconstruct a little bit your view of love. Because if your view of love up until now is largely your brain goes immediately to something mushy and romantic, stop. Take that down, remove it, start over, scratch from the ground up. And we want to take a fresh look at love and begin to look at what love really is. And central to it is a sense mm -hmm. of selflessness and sacrificialness mm -hmm. that when you know that you are loved with that kind of love and you're able to love others with that kind of love, mm -hmm. then the world, even though it's scary and dangerous and hard, you're just not so scared of it. Right. And that kind of love ultimately produces change. Yeah. And I want to add one more thing here. So, you know, Ben and I talk about how we are Jesus followers. And so, <laughs> you know, we believe the Bible tells the truth. And so there's some scriptures in the Bible that have a lot to say about this. And there's in the book of first John, for example, it says, <laughs> that love is the answer. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the ultimate story in First John. Right. And that those who are perfected in love, not just any love, but this kind of right. overwhelming, supernatural kind of love, divine kind of love, are, are perfected in love. They have no fear. Yep. In fact, it says perfect love casts out all fear. Right. So there's a truth to this that experience validates this. Right. But what's interesting is that the Bible said it a long time ago. We're just beginning to experiment with that. Mm -hmm. Is it true that love drives out fear? We believe it is. And if you begin to walk with us through this process of discovering what real love is, mm -hmm. and you become a loved and loving person, 
I promise you, Ben and I promise you, you will become less fearful mm. of everything in your life. So if you want to overcome fear, this is the way. Right, Ben? Yeah, I agree. Couldn't be said any better. Okay. Well, with that being said, then we will continue this podcast next time. Next episode, we're going to get into chapter six, day six, and talk about what love is. So join us for that, and we will begin the discovery of the power of love next time. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Growth Junkies podcast. Go follow us on Instagram and Facebook to join the community and check out the Four Dimensions book on Amazon or through our website, loveandtransformation.org. We also have a new book coming out soon, so keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, continue growing.